<laughs> wow, we are back. We are back. It's so good to see you. Uh, if we've never met, my name's Michael, and you know, for those of you watching online, for those of you out in our patio, the way I'm looking at this new season is we actually have like three venues now. We have indoor venue, we have an outdoor venue, and we have an online venue. And so for some of you who've been here for a long time, remember we used to have the Ridge venue, and as I was teaching, I would often talk to you in here, and sometimes I'd look and talk to people in the Ridge. Well, now we've got three venues I'm talking to, and I'm excited about that. And so we, we're whether, whether you're here, whether you're online, whether you're outside, we're just excited for what God's doing this new season that we're in and looking forward to uh, taking this journey together. Amen? Amen. But uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so inside your, your program, uh, for those of you here, uh, you, uh, inside you've got that. For those of you online, you can, uh, hopefully you've downloaded that as, as Dre talked about. For those of you outside, you'll have it as well in your program. And so uh, let's go ahead and pray and then we're gonna jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. Well, Father, we're just so thankful to be here on this very special weekend. Lord, it was a year ago on this date that we gathered for the very last time as a weekend service. None of us had any idea that it would be this long. None of us had any idea of the challenges that would be confronting all of us this year and continue to, to confront us. Lord, we're just so thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you're a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. And we pray that today, God, as we enter in this new era as a church, three different venues, but all traveling together, we pray that you would be our guide, that you would continue to, to guide us by the, the fire by night, the, the, the cloud by day, and as a church, whether we're here, whether we're online, whether we're outside, that as one body, we would continue to listen and follow. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today in the evening. And uh, his family has had dinner together and everyone's now cleaning up. And the city outside is beginning to settle down. And it's time for him to leave, to go to this meeting that he has scheduled. And so as we're watching him, he's going to the front door. He's, he's putting on his, his outer coat. He's walking through his large estate. He's coming to the front gates and going out into the city streets. And the city is pretty quiet. This is a city, though it's a large city, it rolls up early. And as he's walking through the windy city streets, his mind is jumping ahead to this meeting. Something he's so looking forward to. And yet at the same time, he has some fear, some trepidation, some nervousness. It's unusual for him. He's a, he's a man of power. He's a man of influence. He's a man that others are usually more afraid of him than he of them. But he's not really sure what to expect. He spent a lot of time talking with his colleagues, debating this issue, discussing it together. But finally, in the final analysis, he's decided he's gotta go and talk for himself. And so he's set up this meeting, and he's going with mixed emotion. But frankly, if he could look into the future and know then 
what he knows now, he'd be much more nervous than he is. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in the last couple months that's called Signs, uh, the, the Path to Life. And for those of you who are new, whether you're joining us online, new or out in the patio, new or here in our worship center, um, this is a series about Jesus. It's an in-depth study of the life of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest uh, followers and friends, a man that we call the Apostle John. And what John is doing at the end of his life is he's, he's taking us on a journey. He's writing his story, his experiences with Jesus, what he did, what he taught. He's inviting us to come along. Uh, in the hopes that we will enter into the new life that he's found through Jesus. And he's focusing especially on seven specific signs, supernatural miracles that Jesus performed in the course of his ministry that help us understand who Jesus is, why he's come, and the path to life for all of us. Now, if you were here last weekend, we watched as Jesus very early in his ministry still, he took uh, his, some of his first disciples and they traveled south from the, from the north into the Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee. They traveled south uh, to the city of Jerusalem during Passover. And while he was there, he not only staged this powerful protest uh, at the temple, but he also performed many supernatural signs. And as a result of that, many people in Jerusalem began to put their faith in him, but in a very superficial sense. And as we wrapped up last week, the Apostle John said that though they trusted in him, he did not trust in them because he knew what was in their hearts. He knew all men. And so today we're gonna see a powerful example of that right at the start of the story of Jesus. John is gonna relate a powerful conversation that Jesus had with one of the top level religious leaders of Israel that help us to understand at the very beginning where this story is going. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn them on. We're gonna go to John chapter three. There in your note sheet is a section called Signs, uh, the Conversation. And so in, in John chapter three, John starts it. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Let's, let's stop there. So John wants to introduce us to this, this man named Nicodemus, and we're going to learn several things about him here. Uh, first of all, notice that it said he, that he was part of the Jewish ruling council. Now, uh, this is not actually in the Greek. In the Greek, what it actually says is that he was a ruler of the Jews, but the New International Version that we use probably has it right. What they're saying is he's part of the, the Jewish ruling council that was called the Sanhedrin. So they would oversee all the politics and the religious life of the nation of Israel. Um, it was made up of, it was kind of a combination of like our Supreme Court and our Congress in one group. And there were 70 top leaders that made up this group and then they were led by the high priest. So the, these were men of influence, men of power, usually men of wealth. And so we're told that Nicodemus was, was one of these leaders. On top of that, we're told that he was a Pharisee. Now you may remember back in John chapter one, we learned uh, that the Pharisees had sent a delegation down south to, uh, to check out John the Baptist. 
And at that time, I, I told you a little about the Pharisees, that they were, they were largely a lay movement. Uh, they were not professional priests. There were some who were priests, but most were lay. But they're one of the most influential sects in the nation of Israel. And they had started well, about 100 years or so before. Uh, they had a passion for God's word. But over time, uh, they began to add all these man-made rules and rituals, uh, traditions to God's word. And by the time of Jesus, often the rules and, and, and uh, traditions trumped uh, their, uh, their, the word of God, which brought them into frequent con uh, conflict with Jesus. And so we see they're, they're one of the groups that he's always, almost always in conflict. But in spite of that, uh, there were some very noble men who were Pharisees, and this is one of them, is, is Nicodemus. Uh, later on, we're gonna learn in this passage that Nicodemus, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel, which, which suggests he's one of the top religious leaders, one of the top rabbis of Israel. Uh, and on top of that, um, he is a man who is uh, greatly respected, um, and, uh, and so he's gonna be coming to Jesus by night. And we don't really know why he's coming at night, it could be because rabbis did their study at night. It could be because uh, Jesus had, was more available at night. It could be because he didn't want to be seen publicly with Jesus. Or it could be all the above. We don't really know. It's interesting. John often uses symbolism in his gospel. And what, he, what he's kind of, if so, what he's saying is here's a spiritual leader who's coming to Jesus, but he's still in the dark. And so anyway, so Nicodemus is gonna come at night and uh, what, what we're gonna learn is that, uh, uh, that he had seen some signs that Jesus had been performing that week during Passover. So this takes us back to the story that we started the day with. We started the day with this story of this man who's a, a wealthy man, an influential man who has a big estate who after dinner is over, he is going to leave his house, go through his estate, through the gates, out into the, to the city. And as he's going out into the quiet city streets, he's, he's going to begin to reflect on this meeting that he's going to. He's got both excitement, anticipation, but also some fear, also some concern. This is a story about kind of my version of this encounter that Nicodemus is going to have with this young rabbi named Jesus. And so in verse one, it says, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who's a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, because he was a Pharisee, we know certain things about him, right? He loves God's word, he's passionate about God's word. Um, and so he, he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's been sent from God uh, because no one could perform the signs. Did you catch that? Signs, underline that. There's a reason why we're calling this series Signs. It's all about the signs. He says, uh, we, no one can perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with them. So he basically says, hey, uh, he says, I'm pretty convinced. Uh, he may be uh, speaking for others that have sent him on this delegation, but he says, uh, I, I'm convinced for, for my money, I've seen some of your signs. Uh, no one could do that if God was not with them. But he's also coming with a deeper question. And what we're gonna see is that Jesus is going, going to do what he often does in these kinds of conversations. He's gonna blow off the initial intro. And he's gonna go right to the heart of the issue. And often by looking at what Jesus says, you know what the issue is because he knows the heart of all men. 
And so the big issue here appears to be the kingdom of God. What does it take to enter into the kingdom of God? This was a big topic in Israel. Now, when we say kingdom of God, we ask the question, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? Often as 21st century Christ followers, we think what Nicodemus is asking is how do I go to heaven when I die? That is not what he's asking. For Jews, the next life wasn't heaven, it was heaven coming to earth. It was more like we would see the new heavens and the new earth after the second coming. Uh, they, they were looking for this time, the kingdom of God. The prophets had prophesied for a thousand years that one day God would return to his people. He'd raise up a great king, that he would forgive their sins, that he would fill them with his spirit, change them from the inside out, turn all wrongs to right. This is the message that John had been proclaiming that the kingdom of God was very near. This was the core message that Jesus was proclaiming. We know that from the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus' core message was that the kingdom of God is here, it's near. It's breaking into time and space. And so this Jewish religious leader is coming to Jesus and he said, I'm, I'm convinced that you're from God, but what he really wants to talk about is this kingdom you keep talking about. When is it coming? How is it coming? And how does a person enter into that kingdom? And so Jesus just ignores what he just said. If you've ever had much contact with Jesus, you probably have this experience. <laughs> you pour out your heart and he goes, yeah, well, whatever. But here's what we need to talk about. So he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that's come from God. For No one can perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with them. And Jesus ignores the intro and he says, Nicodemus, here's what you really came to ask me. And here's the answer. Very truly. Now we need to stop there. Can you underline those two words? Very truly. This is a very important thing that Jesus is about to say. The New International Version translates two Greek words as very truly. We're gonna see it throughout the teaching in the Gospel of John. Here are the two words, you actually know them. The, what, what Jesus actually said is amen, amen. Now we know what amen means, right? Like at the end of our prayers, we say amen. And what are we saying? When we're saying amen, we're saying so be it, or yes, that's true, or we agree. It's a statement of truth. And that's what it means in Greek too. And when Jesus in the Gospel of John, when he wants to tell you something extremely important, he puts neon lights around it, this is what he says, amen, amen. And when Jesus says amen, amen, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up, hey, well, uh, because what is about to be said is spiritual gold. It is spiritual pay dirt. It's take it to the bank time. And we'll see it twice today in just a few verses. And so, so the question is, how do I enter the kingdom? And Jesus says, amen, amen. I tell you, no one, no exceptions, can even see the kingdom of God unless they are what? 
So Nicodemus is coming to him as a spiritual leader, the teacher of Israel. Here's a man who's grown up in Jewish culture. Here's a man who's studied the word. Here's a man who knows the Bible better than you or I will ever in the rest of our life know the Bible. Here's a man who's pursuing God. He's from the chosen race. He's open to Jesus. But Jesus says, let me tell you something. That's all great. But you're not entering the kingdom unless something happens to you. Something supernatural has to happen to you that is so profound, it's like starting life over again. It's like a whole new life. And so, of course, Nicodemus is not really understanding, and so he asks for some more clarification. Then he says, hey, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And there's a chance that Nicodemus is truly misunderstanding, taking Jesus literally, but I don't think so. I think, I think what he's saying is that, like, I'm not following you. I, I know you don't mean this, so what do you mean? And Jesus says, verse five, amen, amen. <laughs> Sit up, pay attention, don't miss this. Very truly, amen, amen. I tell you, no one, no exceptions, can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Now, of course, this raises the question, what does Jesus mean by water and spirit? And can I tell you, down through the ages, uh, biblical scholars have disagreed over this. Not so much what the spirit is referring to, but what the water is referring to. Like if some have thought that what Jesus is saying, unless you're like born naturally, like the water from the amniotic fluid, uh, and born of the Spirit. Others have thought that uh, in Jewish writings sometimes water and a, a male, the, the semen, uh, uh, that a, a man would admit that would lead to a new life, that that was sometimes referred to as water, something that, that's kind of a natural birth reference. Uh, some have thought it's, it, it has to do with baptism. It doesn't really make a lot of sense in the context of Gospel of John, blah, blah, blah. But I think, the, for my money, the best explanation is that Jesus is not talking about water and spirit as two different experiences, or it's part of the same experience. Because in the Old Testament, and remember, this is a biblical scholar he's talking about, that God had often said, uh, God had said through the prophets that when the kingdom of God comes, that, it's gonna be a, that God is gonna come to his people in a new way, in a supernatural way, and that it's gonna be, he's gonna wash away their sins as with water. Then he's gonna pour out his spirit on them to change him from the inside out. Like, let me give you an example. There in your note sheet, I put this verse from Ezekiel 36. One of the best illustrations, not the only one. But in Ezekiel 36, it says, um, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This, uh, Ezekiel is looking forward to, to where the kingdom of God will come, and God is speaking. And God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Now cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. And I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you uh, a heart of flesh. I'll change you from the inside. Take away that, that heart's insensitive heart, give you a tender heart that responds to God. And then catches, I will put my what? Spirit. 
I'll put my spirit on you, and I will move you from the inside out to follow my decrees and be careful. And so it, it would seem to me that what Jesus is saying to this biblical scholar is, hey, you should be getting this symbolism here. That, that for you to enter the, for, for you or anyone else to enter the kingdom, something has to happen to you. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you earn. It's not something you, you get just by going after it. You don't get it by your self-effort. You don't get it by memorizing the Bible or knowing the Bible. Something has to happen to you. Something supernatural. A washing, a cleansing, a filling with God's spirit. And so, Jesus goes on and he says, verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh. Just, hum, you know, human beings give birth to, to human beings, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. He says, you should not be surprised. You know, you're a teacher of Israel. Like, you should not be surprised at my saying this, you must be born again. In fact, skip down to verse 10. In verse 10, he'll say, look, you're Israel's teacher. And don't you, you don't understand this? Like, come on, snaps up. You know, like you should be getting this. Uh, then Jesus says something so profound, we're gonna look at later in verse eight. He says, the wind blows. You wanna understand how this works, like how someone is born again of the spirit. He says, well, it's kind of like the wind. And Jesus is using a play on words here because in both Hebrew and in Greek, the word for wind is the word for spirit. And so he says, let me give you an illustration. He says, the wind blows where, wherever it pleases. And you hear it sound, like especially around here, right? These big winds, you, you can hear it howling, shaking the window sometimes. You can hear its sound, you can see its effects in the trees or the bushes. He says, but there's a mystery to it. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. He says, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, there's a mystery about this, right? Like, like um, two people can go to the same uh, harvest event, evangelistic crusade, and they both hear the same gospel, but the wind blows through the life of one person they meet Jesus, and the other person that brought them, nothing, right? There, there's a mystery to how this works. And Jesus says that you can't control the Holy Spirit, but you can tell when he's blowing in a person's life. And then he says, Nicodemus says, how can this thing, how can this be? Or it could be translated, well, how does this work? <laughs> like, like, how do you get this? And next week, Jesus is gonna go on in this conversation, and he's gonna talk how this is possible for someone to be born again, that it's really through his death this new life is gonna come. But for this week, we're gonna stop right there, and I wanna highlight one important kind of big picture principle that flows out of this passage, then we're gonna explore it together, uh, and then I'm gonna come back and ask two really pointed questions at the end, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section that is called Signs and New Births. Just one principle I wanna highlight. And it goes like this, that what we're gonna see in this gospel is that Jesus invites us into a supernatural relationship. That the reason he's come is to, to invite us to be part of a supernatural relationship. 
In other words, um, Jesus does not come to make our life a little bit better. He did not come to make us a little better people. He certainly didn't come to, to, um, to, to make us like religious people. That's not why he came. That what Jesus came, came is he came to give us life, new life, a supernatural life, the life that we were designed to live and that, that flows only out of a supernatural relationship with Jesus. He's the conduit of this new life. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, and we talked about this way back at the start of this series, that, that Jesus is gonna use several different metaphors to talk about this new life that he has come to bring, that through supernatural relationship we receive. So, John 3, born again. John 4, the water of life. John 6, the bread of life. John 8, the light of of life. John 10, the good shepherd who gives us life to the full. John 11, resurrection and life. You see? So so Jesus is going to keep coming back to this, that the reason he's come is not to make our lives a little bit better or just to lift up a new moral standard or to call us to be religious people. That that Jesus has come to give us life and this life is gonna flow out of a supernatural relationship with him. And that to experience this new life, something has to happen to us that's supernatural. Now, the question is, well, how do you know if you've entered into this new life? And what Jesus says is that, hey, you can't control it, you can't bottle it, you can't make it happen, but you can tell when it's happening. It's like the wind. And the Apostle John is so taken with this illustration of new birth, it becomes a hallmark of all his writings. And so when we get to the end of our New Testament, there's a little letter that's called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd and, and John. And especially in 1st and 2nd John, he uses this metaphor a lot. And it's beautiful because he helps us to understand how to recognize when the wind of the Spirit is blowing through someone's life. Here are the signs that someone's been born again. So we don't have a lot of time to delve into this today, but I want to quickly give you the three, three of the biggest signs that John highlights in his uh, letter of 1 John, and we're actually going to study this more in our life group study this week, and even if you're in a life group, uh, even if you're not in a life group, or you're in a life group that is studying something else, you may want to use the study this week if you want to delve in this more. Uh, but I'm going to give you quickly three marks, three signs of the new birth. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the new birth, the signs of life. So here we go. So the first sign, the first sign is a new perspective, that when the wind of the Spirit blows through someone's life and they are, in Jesus' words, born again, they have a new perspective on life. But catch this, especially a new perspective on Jesus, on who he is, why he's come, and what his death means for us. 
that, that there's a new opening of the eyes. Remember that Jesus said no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born of the spirit. One of the things that happened is our eyes, our spiritual eyes are open and we have a new understanding of who Jesus is. And, and John talks about this in 1 John. He says, for everyone who believes that Jesus is the what? The Christ. So underline that. Everyone who believes that Jesus in the Christ is what? Born of God. Do you see that? So John says, hey, here is this. Like, how do you know if someone's born again? Well, they, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? That he's the Messiah, now, remember, for John, Messiah, remember Christ means Messiah, right? Christ is the Greek, the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah. So, for John, uh, the word Messiah takes in a lot of ground. Because as we've already seen in the Gospel of John, he introduces us to the Messiah in chapter one, doesn't he? And you remember what he says, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Messiah is the creator of the cosmos who's entered into time and space to rescue us, to reveal God, to give us life. And so John says one of the marks that someone's been born again, they have a new understanding of who Jesus is, what his life, his death mean, uh, and they've come to believe that he is their Messiah. Number two, the second sign is a new moral compass. That when someone is born again, catch this, the DNA of God, the DNA of Jesus is spiritually implanted in their life. And as a result of that, they have a new, catch this, intuitive sense of right and wrong. No one has to tell them right away, old things that seem to be right now seem wrong, and things that seem wrong now seem right. Now, this will grow over time, but it happens right away. I was talking with a friend of mine recently here on staff, and he was sharing that the moment he gave his life to Christ, his foul mouth went away. Now, I know for many of you that hasn't happened yet. But for him, it just dropped off. And it wasn't like someone said, hey, you're a Christian now. You probably shouldn't use Jesus' name in vain. You probably shouldn't be swearing. You probably shouldn't use the F word. That's probably not right to call a woman the B word. Like, he does, like no one had to tell it. It just like was left. And what I found is in different believers, there'll be different manifestations, but when you came to Christ, you know this is true, that something changed. And all of a sudden, certain things would come out of your mouth, and you would just go, ugh. That did not feel right. That used to feel really good. That did not feel good anymore. There's certain behaviors that, uh, this just feels uncomfortable. And you might even look at yourself and said, what's going on with me? And after a while, you'll get some Christians into your life and they'll start telling you anyway. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you don't need any Christians. The Holy Spirit's just telling you. And you're just doing stuff like, ooh, that, this felt bad. That just felt bad. You go to gossip about someone, you get done and you tell them this really juicy thing that used to be the highlight of your day. Now you're just like, ugh. 
That didn't feel right. It's like, all of a sudden, like, hey, I know he's just sleep with my boyfriend, but this, some, something just doesn't feel, feels off here. I, like, it just starts happening. So this is how John puts it. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, no one who is what? Born of God. Okay, that's the topic. Uh, will continue to sin. Now, hang with me all through this verse. Because God's seed, do you see the, do you see the, the analogy? It's like, like God has given birth. He's procreated new life. His seed is in you, which brings his DNA in you, which intuitively changes you at a core level. This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's moving you to do his will from the inside out. And he said, so because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they're born of God. Now catch this. John is not saying, John's a real black and white guy. He's not saying that as followers of Jesus, we will never fall into sin. You say, how do you know that? Because in chapter one, he already told us that if anyone claims to be without sin, he is a liar and God's truth is not in him. He said, so when we sin, you need to confess your sins and, if, and God will be faithful and righteous and he'll forgive us your sins because of the atoning sacrifice, start at chapter two, of Jesus, right? So he's telling us, here's what to do when you fall into sin. So he's not saying you never will, but what he's saying is if someone claims to be a believer in Jesus, but living in high-handed sin over long periods of time, continuing in sin, and it doesn't bother them, and they're defending that, there are good reasons to question whether they've truly been born again. Because one of the marks is the Holy Spirit not only gives us a new sense of right and wrong, but he gives a new passion for right and wrong. And so when we sin, we feel bad about it. And it's like, we're not okay with that. It's like, we, we may go on with it and wrestle with it and, and give in, but we're not okay. That we're gonna have to get back on track. Number three, the third mark of being born again sign is a new love. And this is both a new love for God, which we'll explore more in our life group study this week, uh, which is expressed in a desire to please him and obey his commandments. That's what he says. We don't, we're not looking at that verse, but you'll see it this week in your life group study. But especially what I wanted to focus on here was a new love for other believers. There's a new love for people, but especially for the people of God who have also been born again, that share your DNA, there's a sense of family. And there's a, a new love there. And so John puts it like this, First John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been what? Born of God and knows God, right? So, so John says, so Jesus says, hey, you can't really, you, you can't control the Holy Spirit. There's some mystery here. There's some mystery here. I, I was thinking today, I remember how, Someone asked C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian writer, an apologist, hey, when did you become a Christian? And he said, I'm not really sure. He said, I went to the zoo, and on the way I wasn't a Christian, and when I got home, I was a Christian. <laughs> like he'd been studying it for a while, but, but something happened to him, right? You know, my wife, when my wife became a Christian, she had so little understanding of even the gospel but the speaker was talking about Jesus and something in her heart said, you need what he's talking about. 
And she went back and prayed to receive Jesus, not understanding that, but her life changed. There's a mystery to the, how the wind of the Spirit blows. But you can see the effects. And John says here are three of the most important. New perspective on who Jesus is. A new sense of right and wrong. A moral compass. A new love. Now, this leads to a couple questions for our life then. So, the new life, two quick questions. So here's the first question. The first question is the obvious question, are you born again? You know, have you seen this evidence? As, I, as I'm going through this, here are the three signs uh, that John says are really important. Have, have you seen those signs in your life? Are you experiencing that? I think one of the things we see today through the life of Nicodemus is that, that what Jesus wants us to understand is like, like being religious, uh, even loving the word, um, kind of growing up in a Christian family, a Christian culture, going to church, participating, even being a leader, that, that, that that's not about being born again is. That, that that's all great. Nicodemus had all of that and he had it in spades. But, Jesus says, but, but you need something to happen to you, right? And so, it's possible for people to go to church their whole lives, they're raised in church, they go to church, they, they participate, they're in a life group, they're serving someplace. It's possible that all this happened and you're not born again. And you say, how do I know? Well, what's your perspective on Jesus? Do you sense the inner moral compass? Have you sensed that change? Is God giving you a love for others, especially for believers, right? These are just three, three, three signs. And so you say, well, what what if I'm like Nicodemus, and I'm, I'm coming, I'm pursuing Jesus, this is all new to me. Uh, like Nicodemus, I, I, think, I think I believe that he's something special, he's from God, but I don't think that's happened yet. Well, whether you're here, you're online, you're outside, in just a few minutes, I'm gonna give you a chance to ask Jesus to do something supernatural and to cause you, to, to, to the wind of his spirit, to blow through your life, and to do what only Jesus can do is give you that which cannot be earned. It's a gift of God's spirit, the new birth. The second question is, let's say that you are a believer. You say, I am born again. I feel solid about that. But here's the question for you is, are you growing up as a child of God? Are you growing up? Now, this is one of the things I think in the evangelical community over my lifetime, I've seen that we've often made a huge mistake here because we've put such an emphasis on being born again, we've treated it as if it's the end game. We talk, hey, when were you born again? When were you saved? As if that's the end of the story. Well, being born again is important because you can't grow up without being born. <laughs> But the goal is not to be born again and then be a one-year-old the rest of our life. The goal is to grow up and become like Jesus and to be transformed and to live this new life that he came to give us, right? To drink deeply of that living water, to feast on the bread of life, to grow in our passion for God, our passion for others, to be a force for him in the world. Like, that's the vision. And so the question is, are you growing up as a child of God? And here's the thing. You say, well, how does that happen? 
It happens the same way we start when we're born again, born, born again. It starts as we listen to the teaching of Jesus and respond, and as we listen to the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through our life. As we listen and follow those two things. You know, in John chapter eight, Jesus will say to some brand new uh, disciples, he'll say, listen, if you continue in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But there's a big if, if you continue in my word, right? And so it's as we, as we gather around Jesus as our Messiah, as we listen to his teaching, as we put that into practice, as we listen and follow the wind of the Spirit in our life, that we grow up, we become the people we're created to be. Amen? Let's pray together. Well, Father, it's so good to be here together and gathered around your word and the beauty of your word that just speaks with such profound spiritual insight. Amen, amen. Take it to the bank. That if you, if you wanna live the life you were designed to live, something has to happen to you. You can't get it on your own. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't memorize it. You can't put the steps, like something has to happen. And so, Father, as our, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, whether we're at home right now, whether we're out on the patio, whether we're here in the worship center, any of our three venues, we just want to come before you right now and respond to this word of Jesus. And so while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and you're, you're like Nicodemus, you can, you can relate to him. You say, yeah, the reason I'm here is I, I've, I know enough about Jesus that I believe he's sent from God, but, I, but like him, I've never experienced that new, I don't think I've experienced that, and, and I long to. I think the, the place to start that journey is just to ask Jesus, to go like Nicodemus said. You know, Nicodemus, by the end of this book, he's gonna be the man who helps bury Jesus. He's gonna go on a journey and over the course of this gospel, he's gonna become a believer in Jesus. He's gonna be born again. And you can do that journey too. And it starts just by asking Jesus into your life to ask him to come in to be your teacher, to your Lord, to open your eyes, to give you the new life. And so if that's you, wherever you're watching from right now, home, outside, inside, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And if it expresses the desire of your heart, I just ask you to pray it along with me in your heart, in your mind, out loud, wherever you are, whatever's comfortable. But if you're sincere, Jesus will hear. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to cause me to be born again. I pray you'd open my eyes to who you are. I pray that your DNA would come into my life. I pray that I'd be transformed supernaturally by the work of your spirit so that I could enter your kingdom both now and for, forever. And while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you just pray that prayer, if you're sincere, I want to first just welcome you to the kingdom. And what I'd ask is this week that you would let us know that decision so I could just send you a brief letter, like here's some first steps to help you walk in your new faith. And 
If you're online, you can just email me, michael, at rockypeak.org, or even info at rockypeak.org, and we'll get that, and, and we'll send you that letter. If you're here on campus, you can just drop it into the offering receptacles. There's a note, there's a card inside your program. Just fill it out. Say, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus in my life and dropped it in the offering receptacles, either out on the patio or in the, the lobby. But I don't want to leave it there. I, I want to talk for those of us who would say, yes, we are born again. This has been a hard year. For some, it's been a year of rapid growth as we've been forced to put our roots deep into Jesus. For others, it's derailed us. We've gotten involved in this or that. We've lost sight of who we are, what we're about, and, and we're not really growing up in Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to give you a chance today to just ask Jesus to shepherd you as his child and to bring you back, to focus you where you need to be focused so you can not only be born again, but so you can grow up and be the person that he designed you to be. And I would just encourage you in the quietness of your heart now or maybe later on on your own or even during the worship song we're about to sing, that you would just cry out to God. You'd come home. You'd just tell him, I... Jesus, I, born, I, I remember when I was born again. I remember what it was like. I remember the new life, but, but I've become so cold. I'm lukewarm. I, I've lost the vision. This year has been so distracting. And I just, I just ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and fill me again with new understanding of who you are and a new passion for what's right and good and true and a, a new love for others that I might grow up to be like you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll, you'll hear these prayers that are going up all over from this campus, from homes all over, even from around the world. We pray that you'd hear this. You'd respond to your people. You'd have mercy upon us. You'd pour out your grace. You'd wash us with the water of your word. Lord, you'd wash away our sin. You'd wash away our idols. God, we pray you'd pour out your spirit. You'd move us from the inside out that we might pursue you with all our heart, be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.